I would start work at 7 or 8 a.m. And then I would be done at 10 p.m. And then I would still go out after that because I was like in my mid-20s and had a whole bunch of energy and then maybe get five to six hours of sleep and do it again. But after a while, I'm like, I'm tired. I don't want to do that. I want to have fun and enjoy my city and enjoy my hobbies. And I don't have the time if I, you know, have a job that deals a lot with productivity and all this other stuff. So I, that's why I really was my driving point to go abroad to begin with because I wanted to work in countries that had more of a work-life balance. Hi everyone, welcome to Speech Goods, a podcast where we showcase awesome SLPs doing awesome traditional and non-traditional SLP things. Myself and the guests on this show are here to talk about the goods, the bads, and the untamable parts of ourselves and our SLP careers and how, despite the challenges of everyday life, have just done the dang thing, loving what we do. I'm your host, Danny Augustine. I went from burnt out, dissatisfied with my SLP job, to dusting off my big girl pants, sprinkling some determination in my 20 cent coffee, and starting my own debt-free private practice. Now, I love my working career and wouldn't trade it for anything else. It was support and wisdom from others around me that helped me refine my why. In this show, I hope you find support and wisdom of your own. Hello, 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 friend, and welcome to this episode of the Speech Goods Podcast. On this episode, I have an amazing guest. I think you're just going to be absolutely tickled pink by her because I was completely tickled pink by her. Uh, Today, we have Edna Elizabeth Yang, MSCCC SLP. Now, honestly, just listening to her story is like she just has like this amount of spice to life that I absolutely love. So whenever I interviewed Julia Kun from The Traveling Traveler, if you have not listened to the episode, I will make sure to link it below. She is an amazing resource on Instagram and her blog is great for if you're interested in doing travel therapy. But normally after I have a guest on the show, I ask the guest if they have any recommendations for people they think would be great to be on the podcast. And Julia is actually the one who recommended Elizabeth to me. And whenever I kind of got a little bit of her story, I was like, oh my gosh, this chick is rocking my socks. I have got to have her on. So Elizabeth, she's worked overseas. She has her own private practice. She has another side business. She did all of this while being a single parent. She mentors SLPs. She just has done an absolutely amazing job of sort of taking the situations that life has thrown at her and just squeezing the poop out of them and turn it into lemonade. You know what I'm saying? So I'm not going to stall this too much longer and talking about how amazing she is, but I highly encourage you to listen to this episode all the way through, especially if you feel you're at a time in your life where you've got some cards stacked against you for, you know, whatever reasons or whatever things are going on in your life. I think this is going to be a really inspiring story for you. Okay, let's get to the talk with Elizabeth. Hello, 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 Elizabeth. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Hi, Danny. I'm so happy to be here. Yes. And if any of you are watching on video, just like Elizabeth, like your smile just radiates the entire room. Like, I don't know if anyone's ever told you that. (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much. I love being just a bright, big ball of sunshine. (laughs) Yes, I I love it. I need more of it in my life. And also, again, super excited to have you on because you have had quite the journey, like quite the SLP journey, quite the human journey, quite the financial journey. And actually for everybody listening out there, I don't know if any of you remember my episode I did with Julia Kahn, the traveling traveler, but she's actually the one that gave me Elizabeth's name. And she was like, you have to interview this amazing, amazing person of a woman (laughs) on your show. And after learning a little bit about you, I am so glad that you are here. So without further ado, Elizabeth, so look, she's, am I making you blush? (laughs) Yes, you are. Thank thank you for the kind words. (laughs) Yes. So can you tell us a little bit about what makes you and your SLP, your financial, your human journey unique? 
So I feel for me, my journey has been extremely unique because being a speech pathologist has allowed me to live and work in many different places. So I've been practicing now for about 20 years and I spent half of my career working overseas in Canada and China mainly. And I love the flexibility that our field has given us. And so it's allowed me to work in different settings just for me to get an idea of which population I would like to work with the best. And I love traveling in general, and I did not want to give that up as a speech pathologist. And I wanted to marry that into my values. So I figured the best way to do that is become an expat. And to for most people, they think if a speech pathologist goes overseas, we're going to have to jump through a lot of hoops. And it's not as hard as you can think. So yes, I I've lived in Toronto, Canada, Vancouver, Canada, Beijing, China. I've worked for DOD and yeah, I, I absolutely love it. I, in addition to that, unfortunately, um, about 10 years ago or more than that, I became single and I thought, okay, I'm going to have to settle down and take a full-time job, but no, with our career, I still been able to get into private practice and navigate those waters and still make speech work for me. So I love it. That is so awesome. And so you did, so you did travel therapy, like while, like, cause you have, you have your one son, correct? I have a daughter actually, and she is 12. Wow. And yes, so it's me and her. And I did travel therapy for many years. And to some extent, I do it today because I have a contract in Northern Alaska where I go to villages and I work with Alaska Native kids. And I provide feeding, speech, and language consultations with an OT, an audiologist, and a PT. <laughs> like, how do you just do all these things, Elizabeth? Seriously. I'm a nomad. I, I It sounds absolutely crazy, but I love learning about other people and seeing things. And so I took a traveling contract back in 2017 in Fairbanks. And when I was living there, I got hooked up with another SLP who worked in these remote areas and she referred my name and I got hired on. And so even though now I'm in Nevada, I still go up there every two to three months for two weeks and provide services. And it's great. So much fun. Wow. So can you, can you take us back to so you, you've been doing, you've been a speech pathologist for 20 years. Can you give us like a reader's digest version just about like kind of where you were when you started and kind of all the way to where you are now? Cause I know you are in private practice now, but even yeah. then, I mean, you're also in like a mostly private pay private practice. Is it just you? Are you the only therapist or do you have other therapists under you? So I do have other therapists under me, but we're a small practice. So I'm, you know, it's me. And then I have one employee who's part-time and two contractors. Okay. And you. so, and I, and I started my private practice in Las Vegas in 2018. But when I first started, I was in New York city, more specifically Brooklyn. And I worked in early intervention for the city. And then I did that for two years and I absolutely loved it, but I wasn't loving going into the homes. And so, but I didn't want to give it up. So I then went down to part-time and I started working in the hospitals and I worked in the hospitals in the peds area, as well as the adults. And I enjoyed that too but I wasn't loving the productivity and the fact that if I wanted to take a vacation day or if I was sick, I was told repeatedly I have to make the day up. And I was just kind of disillusioned with that because for me, a key value in my life is having a work-life balance. And I found as much as I love New York City, I was spending way too much time working and less time living. So I started to look at to see if I could work overseas. And I ended up applying for jobs in um, the UK and Senegal because I speak French and in Canada. And I ended up getting jobs in all those places, but I chose Canada because I figured it's still close to home where if there was an emergency and I needed to get back to my parents, I can get home within a couple hours. So then I moved to Canada. And from there, I started off in the hospital 
and after a few months transitioned to a like an outpatient private practice and i absolutely loved it i love the flexibility of making my own schedule i love the clientele that i worked with and it gave me that first taste of what private practice is like and even though i was an employee i got to see a little bit behind the scenes of what you know what the owner would go through and the pay and whatnot and i did that for three and a half years and that's when I had my daughter. And then that was also during the Great Recession. So this is 2008, 2009 time. So when I came back, the, I, I came back to a job, but the economy has changed. And so I knew that I wanted to keep working in private practice, but I wasn't ready to jump in as a you know, owner just yet. And so I took a job of, with a company that had a Vancouver office. And then I moved to Vancouver with a one-year-old kid by myself, not knowing anybody in British Columbia. And that was rough. I'm not even going to lie to you. That So much growing in my life happened in just navigating daycares in a, in a province where I knew very little about. I just assumed that the the daycare arrangement I had in Ontario would be the same in British Columbia, but it's like here where different states have different regulations. And there I find that most daycares were operating like eight to five, which was extremely hard. So I had to quickly, as I was working, figure things out with the childcare. But one life lesson I learned from being in British Columbia is that I started working for myself and I realized how much I loved it. And yes, there were things that I didn't do correctly, but I felt like being in Canada was the perfect place for me to go into private practice because there, when people use their private insurance, the, it's the opposite of the US. Here, if people have insurance, they want you to go directly through the insurance company to get payment. Over there at that time, they would pay me and the onus was on the person to get reimbursed, not on the, on the person providing services. So oh. that was perfect for me because I didn't have to, I could take insurance, but I didn't have to take that ownership of the billing side of the insurance. And so I grew a practice and I learned about the marketing and I grew a really profitable practice. But me being the Rolling Stone after a couple of years, I wanted to move on and do something else. And so um, I was looking to go to Asia and I applied, you know, for jobs and even received one, but unfortunately my dad got sick. So I moved back to the DC area and took a job at a outpatient um, private practice in the DC area. And once again, it was a great experience. It gave me a lot of experience of mentoring and supervising other people within our same discipline. So other speech pathologists, but like I said, being an expat again was calling my name. And so then I went to China where I was the director of therapy services. And at that point, my daughter was five. Once again, that took me extremely out of my comfort level because I moved to a country where at that point I knew very little Chinese and it's a homogenous society. So, you know, in America, we're used to seeing people who do not look like us and people who have different cultures. Over there, China is a, even Beijing, it's a huge city. We're talking over 20 million people. Everyone looks like you. And so, because I don't look, you know, I'm not Asian, I really underestimated how much attention. I would get <laughs> from from being there and, and my daughter being there. But there's a lot of positives too, because my daughter picked up Chinese very quickly. And I it was interesting for me to work in a setting where we provided it was like PT, OT speech, um, nurses, doctors, audiologists, and we we were from all over the world. So even though I worked in a China, like for a Chinese healthcare company, we operated in English and in Chinese. And it was interesting to see how well we, like our philosophies were on early intervention, what were our philosophies were on feeding. And in terms of the flexibility, it just allowed me to work my own hours and 
when I say do my own thing, obviously I was an employee, so I had, you know, to follow some rules, but they welcomed the fact that I may have come from a different philosophy and they were open to trying new ideas. And unlike here in the US, things in China move extremely quickly when you talk about um, implementing a new idea. So here for a company, whether it's a private practice or a hospital, if you wanted to, let's say, add on a new discipline, it might take you a few months to do some research to see if that works for you. Over there, they, they will have it up and going in a month. <laughs> and so they wanted to do a feeding thing and then they just, you know, told me, okay, what resources do you need to do? And um, it just stretched my brain in different ways because I would say in the U.S., unless you're like the owner or if you work in for a for a company, if you're at the very top, you know, as a employee, you don't have those decisions of like, what kind of feeding charity you need and what kind of space needs to work out and what do you need in that space? But in China, all of that falls on you. So it was stressful at times, but it gave me that it, um, experience for me to make key decisions and things that I otherwise wouldn't have known. And so all I'm saying all that, that all of these experience have brought me to now, that now that I'm in Las Vegas and I have my own private practice and I am able to, you know, I work mainly with kids who have feeding and complex language needs, but having all of these experiences has allowed me to open up my business and become profitable really quickly. And I'm not saying that it's not easy, like there's, or that it's easy, like it's, there's, definitely a lot of challenges, but I feel like me working in a variety of settings has shown me a lot of life lessons that I'm implementing now. So I haven't had a lot of pushback or resistance, if that makes sense. Wow. Like I'm just- I said a lot. <laughs> if you're watching this on video, you can just see my face like, whoa. So how long have you been doing? So you're in the not Las Vegas area now, right? I am in Los, like I, my business is specifically in Central Vegas, so okay. Sahara and Eastern. And I've been, I've had my practice since October, 2018. I started off going to homes and we got office space a year ago. Oh, wow. So you've actually just, you spent, I mean, for three years, you did. Yes. And in COVID nonetheless, and we're expanding. I'm super proud of that because a lot of people in COVID for a lot of reasons, you know, it's been a struggle for them. And I was expecting the worst and I was financially prepared for the worst, but the worst never came. So I'm very thankful for that. Wow. So you just, you've had a lot of experiences. You've been a lot of places. And I feel like, I feel like just like your, your open-mindedness and your willingness to just try new things is kind of like, I'm sure just having experienced so many things, I feel like makes you even more open-minded and like open to trying things. And like, you don't seem very afraid to fail. Is that right? That is right. I am not afraid to fail because what's the worst case scenario? If something doesn't work, I'm going to pivot and do something else versus if I don't do it, I'm always going to have that in my mind. What if? And I feel like I live once and you know, I really am that type of person that asks for forgiveness, not for permission. And you can see that in all areas of my life. And as a result of that, because I put good karma out there, it comes back to me. And when I honestly make big mistakes, I will do my best to, you know, to fix them and just keep it moving. That's it. You got to keep it moving. If I get stuck in this whole, oh, what if, or oh, no, I did this wrong, then I'm gonna just not move. I'm not gonna create anything. I'm gonna be stuck in this state of inaction. And all it does is just create misery for my mind. And I wanna feel good. You know, I wanna feel, you know, past the goodness that I feel to other people. And if I'm in that period or in that phase of, you know, woe is me, then I'm just gonna be negative and upset and unhappy and that's counterproductive in my mind. And that doesn't mean that I suffer from toxic positivity because there are days where crap happens and that's just life. But I give myself grace to know that, okay, the next day I'm gonna wake up and I'm gonna try again and I'm gonna hope for a different outcome. Yes, I was actually listening to um, a podcast episode this morning 
And it was this guy, it was about fire, which we're going to get to SLPs yeah. and doing fire in just a second. Um, because we're both pursuing that fire life. But, uh, yeah. one of the things he said was, he was like, you know what? You only get eight or nine decades on this planet. And he was like, and he was, he was referring to a story where he was an accountant and how it was like tax season. And the owner of the company who's making like $500,000 a year, like crazy amounts of money is up at 2 AM with them stapling tax returns and whatnot. And he remembers just saying like, I only get eight or nine decades in this world. And is that what I have to look forward to? Like, is that, is that, that is what, that is success. And he's like, that's not what I want. Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to look forward to, you know, we go from, we go from when we're in school and we've got summers off and we've got like a week off for Christmas and a week off for spring break. And then we go into these jobs, unless you're working in the school and we're working all year round and we're terrified to take our PTO. And it's like, do you just work, 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 work until you die? And, <laughs> and it's like, you know, what are you, instead of like really taking that time to reflect and be like, what do you want to do with it? Like, do you want to, and again, you're totally right. It's not a toxic positivity thing. It's just like a, is this what you want to be doing? Like, if it is cool, like you do. Well, you do. That's exactly it. And I feel like for me, I've been a nomad my whole adult life because I feel like I want to make a life where I don't feel the need to vacation from, if that makes sense. Yes, so usually yeah. when people go on vacation, it's because they're burnt out, they need a break. And, you know, you could still be an expat and feel burnt out and want a break. But I want to, you know, create and I have created lives where I can really enjoy you know my job and really enjoy my downtime in the place where I'm at so I don't get to that level of being burnt out and I haven't always lived my life like that in, in my adult life but I strive toward that yes yes I've heard, where have I heard that before Elizabeth like try to create a life that you don't have to take a vacation from I'm trying I, I don't know where I've heard that I'm sure someone has said it. I've learned from experience. <laughs> I've learned where, you know, while I was in New York, I was working, this is as an example, um, I worked two jobs. I would start work at 7 or 8 a.m. And then I would be done at 10 p.m. And then I would still go out after that because I was like in my mid-20s and had a whole bunch of energy and then maybe get five to six hours of sleep and do it again. But after a while, I'm like, I'm tired. I don't want to do that. I want to have fun and enjoy my city and enjoy my hobbies. And I don't have the time if I, you know, have a job that deals a lot with productivity and all this other stuff. So I, that's why I really was my driving point to go abroad to begin with because I wanted to work in countries that had more of a work-life balance than the U.S. Yes and that's on the theme I've been seeing is there's a like the culture of the U.S. is very different than other countries and someone posted a meme it was like it was it was it was from the point of view of somebody that was not American and they're basically like home of the free you guys like barely get any paid time off. He's like, and he said something like, you guys don't have government mandated paid time off. What kind of place is this? There's a lot of truth to that because when I moved to Canada, when I worked um, at the outpatient, like that rehab outpatient private practice, it, I received six weeks off and that's not even like abnormal. That's, you know, pretty standard for healthcare workers. And this was like a long, I'm talking about 2007 or eight. So this is not even recent times. And, and then even like when I worked in Vancouver and I worked for myself, I just really set up my practice in this way that I could take at least three to four weeks off at a time. Like I, in 2012, I traveled for six weeks with my daughter to see family in Senegal and Western Europe. And no one blinked an eye. No one was like, oh, what about my services? No, it's just the culture. Wow, like, it's, that's so interesting. So, like, because I know for a lot of us, it's like, we would be fearful of that because it's like, oh, well, my patients are going to want, like, who's going to take care of my patients for six weeks? But over there, it's just kind of like, a, oh, yeah, like, of course you're going to go on vacation. 
So, you know, I had that same mindset when I first moved to Canada, where I had, I was working with a person who had a head injury, and then he was going to England for two months. And in my head, I'm like, how are you going to go for two months? You're going to miss all these services. And everyone else was like, yeah, have a good time. Well, you know, you can continue when you come back. And it just showed me that there's more to life than just work and just therapy. And it took me a while to adapt to that, but I haven't lost that. And so now that I'm living in the U.S. again and I'm, you know, seeing family members and friends stressing out about missing two days of work, it just, for me, I'm like, this is not living. This is just, we're just surviving and just going through the motions. And I'm not saying that every Canadian or everyone in China has this mindset. Like you definitely have people in those places too that are workaholics, but in general, the average person there has more of a work-life balance than the average American. That's crazy. Okay, so speaking of like work-life balance and like being intentional, let's, I wanna transition over to talking about financial independence with you because you are, there's a few other SLPs that I've gotten to connect with, but I haven't gotten the opportunity to have them on the show yet. You're actually the first one that are, they're pursuing, um, well, Julia as well. Um, but like as part of the show is like pursuing fire. So for those of you who don't know what fire is, it has nothing to do with like burning your draws. Okay. Fire stands for financial independence, retire early. There's also a little bit of a movement to change the R that says retirement to relax, financial independence, relax early. Um, there's a couple other things where like you can become coast fire, where you get to the point where you don't need to add any more money to your investments and you'll be able to, and you'll be able to retire at a regular age as a millionaire. But that means you also don't need to be making as much money at that moment. Um, there's like lean fire where you retire early, but you live on like a small amount of money. There's fat fire where you retire early and you live in a large amount of money. Just a cute, just a few things just so you know what they are. Um, so but you, Elizabeth, you started your fire journey as a single parent, first of all. Yes. You started your fire journey as a single parent, and you also didn't start till you were almost 40. But yet, yes. aren't you on track to retire like in your 50s or retire at 50 or something like that? Yes. So I really got serious with this movement when I was let me see it was 2016 so i was 37 and i'm going to just tell you a little backstory i had a friend that was part of the fire movement back in my 20s i don't even think it was called fire then and i actually made fun of him i'm like why are you saving all this money ha 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 you need to live your life now the joke is on me because i see the value of it now and he's probably like way ahead of everybody else but i you know up until 37 I was really a person that is, I've always been good with money in the sense of um, budgeting. So I always had that in place. And I've, ne I've never been a huge shopper. However, I've been that person, I'm like, oh, let me buy this here and there, or let me take this vacation and not it, meaning not save up for in advance. And I'm like, oh, let's just put it on the credit card. No problem. And just pay, pay the credit card off over, over time, which in hindsight now, I was just giving money away to, to these companies. But the reason why I'm bringing all this up is when I went to China, China does not have an easy way to move money from um, China to the United States. It's a real big pain. And so it involves a lot of fees. There's just no way around it unless you're working for um, an American company. And so after a while, I kind of got lackadaisical with my bills over here. I'm like, oh, I'm going to be abroad anyway. Who cares if that, you know, falls behind. I don't care. It's not that much. I will deal with it. And my mom's like, well, your credit's going to drop. And I'm like, I don't care, mom. I'm not in the U.S. I'm not trying to get another credit card. Well, joke's on me because my dad got really sick in late 2016. And I moved back pretty abruptly. Um, unfortunately, he passed away a few months later, but I, I moved back to um, take a role in his care and just to be closer to him. And I came back to like, my credit score being in the very low 400s and having about $18,000 worth of debt and not being able to open anything. Like even my bank account was closed. Like I'm being very transparent because 
like, don't do what I do. I was just kind of like, my head was in the sand, like, oh, whatever, I'm not playing to live, you know, in the U.S. again. Always make my first suggestion for anyone, whether you're an expat or not, like, always prepare for the worst. Even if you think your situation is never going to change, you just never know in life what can happen. And there you go, you might be there. So coming from that mindset, I was still like an avoidance you know, I was just in an avoidance state of mind and I was in depression just because of um, the things going on with my father and the relationship that we were having at the time and me just abruptly coming back to the U.S. and not even sure what I wanted to do. But then one day I'm like, okay, I have to put my big girl panties on because I have a daughter and she didn't ask for any of this. And so I calculated how much I owed and then I started creating a plan to get out of this. So, so what I ended up doing, I got one of those online bank accounts. Um, it's, I, I don't even remember the name of it. I think it was simple. And so I started with there. And then I started working to, you know, cover the ambience. And then with the credit cards, I settled, you know, I did a settlement with them. And then I wrote a letter to, to them saying, if I settle with you, will you delete the history? Now, most of them did not, but two of them did. So that jumped my score right then from like 400, like, I think it was like, low 400 to 600 even. So then at 600, I was able to get a Discover card and I wasn't using it much, but just to establish like a consistent pay history. So I did that and then that jumped my score from 600 to 650. And then at that time, you know, months are going by, so things are getting older. And then I, you know, what I took a traveling job so at this point, I'm in Alaska, and the traveling job paid well, and I am truly, you know, we're duplicating expenses because I had a home base outside of D.C., and I knew then, I'm like, okay, I'm good in terms of covering my debts and saving money to have an emergency fund, but I, that's when I first started hearing more about FIRE. It was through this Facebook group called Dreamcatchers. And then I thought, you know what? The way I like to live is that I don't want to work until I'm 70. But I'm not bringing in enough money for me to, you know, um, retire earlier. So I knew for myself, I either had to earn more money or cut expenses. And at this point, I cut everything that could be cut girl like i was not eating like there was nothing more to cut i needed to have a phone i needed to have a place to stay so i'm like okay i gotta earn more money so what i ended up doing is that even though i had a traveling job i took a second job as a speech pathologist and i banked the whole money like everything i earned i just put it towards investments and was i working a buttload yes but I, I calculated if I did that for, you know, a year and three months, it will give me a really good start. And by the time I did that, I went from, by the end of those 15 months, I went from a negative net worth to having about 50,000 in the, in the bank. And that was just me doing two extra days of private practice. So in my head, I'm like, okay, I'm earning more money doing private practice it's time for me to really get into private practice again. And but this time me be the owner. So I moved to Vegas. I didn't do private practice right away. Um, I did work for a home health agency, but I was very honest with them and told them that I, you know, at some point I'm going to probably work for myself, do some feeding stuff. And I'm very fortunate that when I did end up opening more than words the name of my company they allowed me to keep a lot of my clients because they said that they don't have the the manpower for them and that you know they found in their experience when people leave the, the families or you know the adults would leave with them anyway so that got me started and i realized not everyone has that leg to go with, but I really attribute that to the fact that I had a really good relationship with that owner. And 
I really just believe if you are a good person and you have positive karma, it does come back to you. Not to sound woo woo, but just in general, if you do good things, it'll come back to you in different ways. So by the time I started my business, I already had some reserves set up and I had, you know, not a ton, but I probably started off with 10 clients between the ones that came with me from this company and ones that I found on my own. And so then how does that play into finances? So at this point, remember, I'm not in debt anymore. I chose purposely home health because I didn't have a clue of how much it would cost for me to rent a commercial space. And I just I just didn't have that headspace there yet. I wanted to just get a hold of the fact of how well can I um, manage the company's money and how well can I continue to save for my own money. And so, I, you know, didn't um, have any lifestyle creep, meaning that even though I was earning more money, because there's no, there's, um, there's no middleman anymore, you know, taking a cut, it's just, you know, the person's paying me or I'm billing the insurance company, I still kept my income the same. And so I built up a really big um, reserve in my business. And that plays a role later because COVID, COVID hit. But at the at the end of the year, I decided to pay myself because uh, I'm structured as a LLC, but I can tax as an S corp. So I um, paid myself like a bonus to you know just like to congratulate myself on how <laughs> like the work that I put through. But I put all that money into my retirement, and and then I just started seeing more people. So very quickly. I, as I started seeing more people, I did raise my salary somewhat, but instead of spending the difference, I just started investing the the difference. And, you know, during those years, the, the stock market is doing well. And even though right now it's at a dip, I still believe long-term is going to be okay. But that's how I got to the point of where I am today. So just to kind of recap it it's like i chose to go the route of getting my act together of being honest with what was going wrong with my finances um being clear with the credit card companies of what i could pay off i you know i did a settlement i did a pay to delete which worked with a couple places and then i really kept to my budget before i had a budget I always had a budget, but if I went over it, it was like no consequences, but I switched to a cash-based budget where if I'm done, I am done. And that got me on the path where I'm at now. I feel for me, the reason why I'm telling this story is because when I, in 2016, when I came back from China and I realized how big of a hole I was in financially, I stopped posting online. I was so ashamed to even tell close friends and families that I had like very little to my name because they were gonna, I just felt like they were going to judge me like, oh, wow, but you're a speech pathologist who makes all this money. Like what happened that you went from that to like no money? And how are you in this amount of debt? And I feel like by talking about it, it's good to let people know who are not in a good financial place that you're not alone. And it's more common than you think. But a lot of people don't want to share their, their low lights on online. And I didn't at the time. You know, I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't. I just was mute. But I was stuck in that inaction that I said to you earlier. And I feel like in hindsight, I made that situation worse because I didn't act for months where if I just decided then and there, like, okay, my situation really sucks, but I'm going to do something about it. I would have gotten out of it a lot faster. I said a whole lot. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, and you, I'm sure you can speak to this too, of just sometimes it'll, I feel like you'll get to this place. And I thought this way before too, where you want to do something and like, you know, it's something that's good for you. But like you just feel kind of paralyzed and overwhelmed. And I think that's yes. how a lot of people feel when it comes to finances or like when I talk about like I'll get DMs all the time about like they feel overwhelmed with managing their money or overwhelmed with investing. Like what would you say to them? Like if what would you say to that person who's just like, I just don't even know where to start? Okay, so for someone who has debt, 
where to start is to figure out how much that you have. I know it sounds so simple, but if you're like me, I spent months without figuring it out because I was too embarrassed. Like the shame and the fear really overtook my life. But I also knew that if I can't even calculate how much I owe, how can I manifest in my life that I want to earn six figures? Because if you can't even manage $500, how can you manage $10,000? How can you manage $100,000? How can you manage a million dollars? Yeah. One day, and I didn't even learn that for someone that just came in my mind one day and then I just got over that. So then I really took small steps. I'm like, okay, day one, calculate how much it is and sit with it. Day two, make a step, like make a prioritize, like prioritize who you're going to pay off first versus last. Fortunately for me, student loans, I, my student loans were paid off. So that's not part of the equation. I realized, you know, a lot of people have student loans and my heart goes out to them because I'm just going to keep it real. Like, you know, a lot of people have a hard time wanting to pay back student loans if they feel like what their investment, they didn't get their full investment out of them. Yeah. But I didn't have that issue. And so for someone that is debt free and they want to invest, I wouldn't even say I'm the investment guru. I just read um, A Simple Path to Wellness and I did some research online. I love that book. It's a great <laughs> book. It literally like, if you, I've recommended this book before, but just for everyone out there, A Simple Path to Wealth by J.R. Collins, I think. Yeah, um, yes. He talks about, he talks about having F you money and he talks about, uh, and he talks about like Vanguard and index funds. So if you have any questions about that, you can little that book, you can get that book for like $10 or you can get it on Audible. So just let them know. Sorry. Or even from the library, you know, if you're really like wanting to save money, but that book kind of helped me. And the author is very much about um, VTSAX and just index funds. And so when I'm saying I'm investing, I don't want you to think I'm like trade, like I'm online trading different stocks. I just don't have the skill set for that. And I know that. So I use, I personally use Vanguard and I personally put a lot of money into VTSAX. I have a couple other stuff, but when I say investing, that's what I mean. I just have this pool of money and I put it in that particular pot and then I watch it grow and forget about it. One thing I will suggest, um, and I still do this, even though my credit is a lot better now, I still, when I save money, so I'm talking about my emergency fund and my personal emergency fund is at $25,000. And so when I first started saving, I noticed if I had it in one bank account, as soon as I would save it, if I felt like I had a minor emergency, I would use it. So I started moving, putting like different amounts in different accounts that would take one to two business days for me to access it. And I would have it set up that when I would get paid, it would automatically go to these accounts. And so mm -hmm. you could do it two ways. You could have it where when it when you get paid direct deposit, you can have it set up where on these days it will go automatically. But I did one step better. <laughs> I have it set up where literally I get paid to three different bank accounts. Mm -hmm. So it's not even like I'm moving anything around. So to this day, with the twenty five thousand, I have you know Chase is my main account. So. I have 6,000 there, um, 6,000 with Edward Jones and then 12,000 with Barclays. And so I, the reason I have it set up that way is if I have an emergency that's here in Las Vegas, I can physically go to the bank and, you know, and withdraw the money. And anything beyond that, I would have to, you know, move it around. But because my credit score is a lot higher, I also can now use, a, you know, my credit card for, you know, to cover me until I reimburse myself. Yeah. Yes. But yeah. back then I didn't have any credit girl. So I didn't have a credit card. So that was not an option. <laughs> but even now, even now, like, and this is what I tell me about credit cards, like do not spend money that you do not have with a credit card. Like whenever I swipe the credit card, I'm spending money. I know I have, I just personally like the credit card we have, we've actually gotten a lot of great like travel rewards and points with it. And I've used my points for rental cars and flights. So I enjoy it, but anything that I'm swiping that card for, I have, I still have money for that in the bank. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, yes, but it's so, you know, if you know that you're that type of person that you 
don't have good willpower, then I would just my suggestion for you is just don't even get the card. Yeah, it's not it's not yeah. worth it. Um, mm -hmm. One example for myself, and this is recently, and I'm I'm really not a shopper, but in the month of January, I had a lot going on, and. When I looked at my credit card bill, it was $3,000. And I'm like, what did I buy for $3,000? And so I did pay it off. Like I had the funds to pay it off. But it was a lesson for me, even me, someone who I feel like I'm pretty financially literate, that, hey, you got to really be diligent about this. This is not something that you set up once or twice and then that's it. If so that's, I feel like credit cards can really work in your favor, but you truly have to be good about either paying it off right away. And if you know that you're a shopper or you're someone that just really doesn't keep track of numbers, really keep to the cash. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is knowing yourself. So like I have an online course uh, called Budget Without Burden that teaches SLPs how to budget their money. And we talk about like automation and all that stuff. And the first model has nothing to do with like numbers or calculations. The first model is all about knowing yourself because at the end of the day, a credit card is not an evil thing. No, it's, it's not like a credit card is not, it is not a, it's not a, a malicious or benign thing. Like it's just there, like it's just there. It's all about the person that's using it, right? You have some people that are like super, which I'm not like that. They'll like travel hacking and blah, blah, blah. like that's too much, too much brain space for me. Not important me to too. me. Um, <laughs> but then you have some people who they just at least, you know, maybe it's this season in life or whatever. They just you, like, maybe you don't have this all control for it. And that is okay. But knowing yourself well enough to set things up. So like for me, that emergency fund, I'm, I'm not like you, Elizabeth, that emergency fund does not tempt me at all. Okay. Like, and the way, the way me and my husband are, I don't know why this is how we are. We really only ever like our checking account is really all we, when we're spending, that's really all we're looking at. Right. And so we purposely, like some people will recommend putting like a one month of expenses in your checking account. I don't do that. I put less than that. We always have like a minimum. And I've talked about this in the course too. We have like a minimum of like $1,500 that we'd like to have in there. Uh, because if our checking account is like too fat, I start feeling spendy. <laughs> I know I'm with you. I'm exactly with you. <laughs> <laughs> so like, when, but when I start seeing, get, seeing it around that 1500, I'm like, I'm like, okay, I need to chill out. Now granted, you know, we have a lot of things, we have our bills coming out. We do automatic transfers to our savings accounts. We have automatic transfers to sinking funds, saving yes. up. Like we're still, it's all like, st we're still saving up for vacation, but all that stuff's automatic and outside out of mind. <laughs> That's good though. <laughs> right. But like, it's not like you, it's not like it's bad that we don't have one month of expenses in our checking account. It's just like, we know that's when we get spendy is when I start seeing like four and $5,000 in my checking account, like. I get a little, I get a little antsy. <laughs> no, I, I hear you. And even though it wasn't my checking account, but it was my credit card. It's like, when I started using it in January, I pay, I generally pay mine off every month, but for whatever reason, I, in January, I was using my credit card more. And just by the way, I'm someone that when it comes to food and some utilities and stuff, I do put it on my card so I can get the points and then I will pay it off. But then there were times where I didn't have my bank card. So then I'm like, oh, I'll just put it on the credit card. But then I was just really lost track of it until I got the bill. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it adds up fast. Like it really, really does. And I think that's how people kind of, people, no one goes out. And I mean, even you, Elizabeth, you didn't go out and say, Today's a great day to get in some credit card debt. What do you think? Like nobody goes out to do that. I think we just sort of like fall into these things and like you have no idea how many times a day, like on the within this Beach Good platform, I hear, I just didn't know. Like I just didn't realize. Like I hear that that I hear that probably most often. Yeah, that was the case with me. It okay, so with my debt. It was a it was a combination of a few things, but a big factor was my being inactive, like having um, being indecisive. Because when you're indecisive and you have a lot of debt and you let it default, then you're paying all these late fees and whatnot. And so when I was paying things off, you know, with companies that wouldn't accept 
on me to do a pay to delete, I realize I'm paying off some poor decisions. And I'm not talking about the poor decisions for why I used the car to begin with, but poor decisions because I chose not to make an, you know, a decision. Because if you don't make a decision, a decision will be made for you. And sometimes it may not be good. So I'd rather, that was a learning lesson for me in the future to not get to that point where I'm indecisive. Hey friend, are you a clinician looking into contract work, opening up your own private practice, or any other form of self-employment? Maybe you're excited about the flexibility, increased income potential, and overall quality of life awesomeness, but the idea of having to manage your own retirement taxes and a variable income makes you want to hide under your therapy table and never come back? <laughs> I promise I totally and 100% get it. I had the same reservations when I started my own private practice. I actually took a lot of time to research my options for retirement accounts, how how I would even pay myself and the different business entities, what they meant, and even how taxes worked so the IRS wouldn't come for me in the middle of the night. Lucky for you, I've actually already done all this research for you, and I decided to compile it into an interactive ebook slash workbook called The Money Guide for the Self-Employed Clinician. With this instant digital download, aka you can get it like ASAP and you don't have to wait for shipping. I know, awesome, right? You are also going to get access to my cash flow goal sheet, health insurance comparison chart. I even give you some examples of profit and loss. I go through taxes, different retirement account options, and even how to budget with a variable income and so much more. In one of the first reviews of the book, Marcia said, girl, never have I ever read a more informational ebook and an easy to read, non-overwhelming delivery method. Thank you for putting this out there for all the SLP private practice owners. So if you want to save yourself a lot of time and a little bit of anxiety, click the link in the show notes to get your own instant digital download. All right, let's get back to the show. Yes, yes. Now, just to, I want to like take us back a little bit because you didn't start this financial independence thing until you were a bit older. So I know that I have had like comments on Instagram and things like that from people who, you know, they're not 25. Like they're like, you know, what, 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 what would you want to tell them if they're starting maybe in their late thirties or their forties and they're just hearing about fire, but they feel like it's too late. Cause it's like, well, Joe Blow retired at 30 and I'm seven years, you know, whatever. What would you tell those people? So I would tell them because I am that person that it's not too late because no matter, let's say you're 42, that's my age right now. And you know that you want to retire slightly early. I, I would first calculate what your number is. That way you have something concrete to work for it towards because if you don't even know what their number is it's going to be abstract in your mind and then it's just easier to say oh this is a fantasy it's, not, it's never going to happen to me i feel like there are many people especially right now who are in their let's say middle age years that are working towards retirement and you know calculate what your number is consider passive income i didn't mention this before but a large reason that i'm able to the path to retire in my early 50s is because I set up different income streams. And I think for a lot of people, they feel like, well, I don't have a lot of skill sets, but it could, you know, look to do things, look to fulfill a need in your community. So in my case, I own a couple ATMs. It doesn't involve a lot of um, labor on a monthly basis, and it brings me well over four figures a month. So that's just one example. Um, if you want to if you're in your older years, just figure out what your number is. Try to bring in more income if you can. You know, if you feel like that's not possible because you're already working a full-time job, really decrease your expenses. You'd be surprised even if you're able to cut, you know, $100. That's $1,200 a year that could be going toward your, your retirement. And, you know, also look to see, too, Maybe it's possible for you to retire sooner if you move to another area. Now, I know not everybody can leave where they're from because of family or other commitments, but if you're more open-minded, maybe moving to a lower cost of living area, could maybe you can retire a lot sooner. Think about all these things. I think for me, uh, one thing that really went in my favor is that I'm willing to do what it takes to um, to get there. 
you know, so I'm open to moving. I'm open to having different income streams. I'm open to, I was open to for a short amount of time, taking a second job and dedicating all of that money toward paying off that slash, putting it toward retirement investment purposes. Just if you're even willing to do one of those three things, you'll be well on your way. Yeah. And I think, I think one thing I try to help other SLPs understand is that, you know, sometimes you have to do what other people aren't doing yes. to get results that other people don't have. Yes. And that's exactly it. And you also have to remember, and this is also for myself, I'm an impatient person. I'm learning, working on my patience right now, but things contrary to what you see online, this is not going to be overnight. Even with me, you know, when I say like my credit score and my debt went quickly, it was still like well over a year. And that was like a year of me working really hard. This is not going to be, you know, a couple months and then we're good. This is going to take some time, but just know when it is worth it. It's worth it at the end. Cause I'm at the point now where I probably could coast fire if I, if I wanted to, and it allows me to have different options and just knowing that I have the option to do many things is so freeing to me because I know that I will never be stuck. So put in the time, even if you're 40, 45, if you put in the one to two years now to get yourself going, you'll still be further ahead versus if you just said, oh, I'm going to work the rest of my life, or I'm going to work mm -hmm. till I'm 70. Because the way, if, especially if you're in healthcare, our field is rapidly changing, regardless of whether you're in private practice or not. And so, you know, I, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but there's a few government bills in place that may impact us personally in terms of our pay. Like there's one that's looking to cap nursing's pay. And if that happens, and this is for like traveling nurses, it's gonna roll over to speech pathologists, traveling speech pathologists. And we also know that that's gonna roll over to people in hospitals, schools and whatnot. And then there's another bill that's looking at um, how it's gonna shape digital marketing. So I don't mean to change the subject, but all this to say, as we, you know, as we get older and as life moves on, our future may not be super certain, but it can be more so if you have a better hand on your finances. Yeah, I mean, nothing, and that's all, that's what I tell people all the time. Like, they'll be like, well, Danny, you don't know what the stock market's going to do, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, nothing in this life is certain, but you know what is certain? If I don't put any money in retirement, I'm not going to be able to retire. <laughs> well, no, but this is true. Yes. And I, I know people, unfortunately, I know people in our field that have told me I can't retire. I'm going to work until I die. And that's the saddest thing to hear because our field, especially if you work in a hospital or in a sniff setting, is very taxing on our bodies. Yeah. And to know or for them to say, I just can't retire now. And what's their regret? What they say, did they follow that up with to me? You are so lucky that you took the decision to be in charge of your finances. So you're not going to be in my situation. That one of them has said something along those lines. And so please, if you're older, don't have the mindset of like, it's too late for me. It's not. Even if you still have to work to your 65, it's so much better if you, you know, chose at 45 to put a few hundred bucks in a month, you're going to be much better off when you do retire, even if it's not early retirement, you will still have a much more comforting retirement versus doing nothing. Yeah. And you know, there's like, I think it's some quote, it's like, the best time to start was yesterday, right? But the next best time to start is today. So yes. you can't like, I mean, and I, and I, I try to, you know, and I try to say this with as much grace as possible. Cause like, I know, like I totally, I mean, if, you know, I, yes, like I'm still, I turned 30, actually turned 30 next month. Um, and I've got, you know, people like, well, you're still, you're still young, blah, blah, which I'm technically not going to be in my twenties anymore for much longer. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I just try to say, you know, yes, like it would have been awesome if you would have started back then, but like, we can't change that. Like we mm -hmm. cannot change the past. We 100% cannot, but you have everything in your power to change 
to, to change the future, to change tomorrow. And sometimes you may not see that change until much later. Like, just like you said, like that first, you know, when you're, you said you're 42 now, when you were 37, that first year, year and a half of kind of grinding a little bit, you were, you know, you were investing, you were kind of investing that you were doing that grind for the now so that you yes. didn't have to do the grind later. And look how far, and I want everyone to just take notice of this, look how far she's come in just five years. Like it's only yes. been five years. Like you literally went from a negative net worth to now you could potentially even do coast fire, which is awesome. Like it's amazing. Yes. You know, I, I think sometimes we get so focused on like the next six months or the next year, which yes, like that has a place and you need to know what you're gonna be doing. But I think we're so, we're, we're so used to not looking past that. And it's like, yes, but these things that you're doing right now, how is that not, not only going to serve you a year from now? How is it going to serve you five years from now? How is it going to serve you 10 years from now? And I think sometimes for some of us, like, I know it's hard for me and I've had to work that muscle of just looking, looking past the next year, like, (laughs) No, that's the same thing for me. And I think for most people, you want that immediate gratification. But but one other thing I want to mention, and this is regardless of age, when you do get on this path, or if you decide to get on this path, because you might not want to retire early, you know, and that's okay, too. But I hope everyone will at least get on the path of being able to manage their finances better. And you can always do it better, regardless where you're at. But also, Forgive yourself from the past. And what I mean by that is if you're like me who gotten a lot of debt and made a lot of poor decisions, if you don't let that go, you're going to always, you know, judge yourself for these past actions that you're going to forget to live in the present. And it's, you know, like what you said, Danny, what's done is done. You have to move on. And I don't mean to sound cavalier about it, but you made the best decision that you did at that time. So just give yourself that grace and just know that, be thankful that you're even here today to change your future. That's how I look at it. Yeah. I mean, I think the power and, you know, and there, there are individuals out there that don't have a choice. Yes. There's totally people out there who don't have a choice. But I find, you know, the people that I've talked to and, you know, people who just need encouragement, a lot of times we do. We may feel like we don't have a choice, but you, like, but you do. Like I've told my husband before, I was like, because we, because we've been in our house for about a year, year and a half now. And like, I've told him a million times, like, I will sell this house before I am stressed out about money. Like I will sell this house in a heartbeat. And of course he's like, no, you're not selling my house. (laughs) But I'm like, nobody's, you know, like, like, I, like that is where, that is where, like, for me in my mindset, like, that is where my, priori- like, that's where my priorities are. And I think people like, and I use the selling the house example, because I feel like that wouldn't occur to some people. Like they feel like forced into all these things. And it's like, and it's like a lot of times we feel forced, but we're actually not. A lot of times it's like the expectations of others and in, in our culture around us that makes us feel forced into things. But you do, you do have more choices than you typically think that you do. You do. And I think it's ego and pride. And I don't mean that as a bad thing, but it's like, when I say ego, not from other people, but within ourselves thinking like, oh my gosh, I've fallen so far. I, if I did this, I just can't imagine. Like, you know, I moved to Alaska, not because I necessarily wanted to, even though I am up for an adventure, but at that time, they happened to be a lot of jobs there as a traveling therapist. And I, my desire to get out of debt was higher than dealing with minus 30 temperatures. I'm like, I'll get a cute coat, get some nice boots, oh. I'll you know, rock it and keep it moving. And I did. Minus, <laughs> see, girl, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm tropical. I don't know if I can do minus 30. You'd have to pray for me. <laughs> but, and you know what? I, and I get it. I get it. But I'm like, you know what? Going here, I got a really good contract. I calculated how long do I have to do it for? But I actually ended up really liking Alaska. That, and I wouldn't have known otherwise. So you never know what can yeah. look like an obstacle can be a blessing. Yes, yes. Well, Elizabeth, I just like am all fired up after this conversation. Like, all right, like I'm going to go do something, but probably do the same thing that I've been doing. But, <laughs> 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 but just thank you so, 
so much for just chatting with me. You are such an inspiration and it is an honor to have you on here to just tell your story. And I know that there's people who are listening out there right now, like feeling a little fire lit under their booty. Um, because I mean, just like you said, like if you can do it, like if Elizabeth can do it, why can't, why can't you, whoever you are listening to this right now or watching? That's exactly it. If I could do it, you could do it too. It just takes steps, little steps that you can take every day. Yes, baby steps. Well, before I let you go, so I can be respectful of your time, Elizabeth, is there any last words of advice that you want to give to SLPs, OTs, PTs, other healthcare professionals out there listening, especially those that just feel very overwhelmed and discouraged um, or just kind of don't know where to start? So I have two pieces of advice. One is more general. So I feel like life is really short. So if there's a trip you wanted to take, if there's a city you wanted to explore, if there's a contract you wanted to take, just do it. Worst case scenario is you don't like it and you will have that experience to help you navigate your next decision. And the for a financial point of view, you know, calculate how much you want to save, calculate what your debt is, and find an accountability partner. We didn't talk about it, but I had one and that helped me quite a bit. And having one accountability partner and moving more or less in silence will have you get to your goals faster. Yes, 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 yes. I don't have anything else to add to that. I don't. <laughs> I don't have anything else to add to that. Um, <laughs> That's when you know it was a good, a good solid piece of advice when Danny doesn't have anything else to say. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Elizabeth, for coming on and being your fabulous self and sharing your smile and your story. And I hope you have an amazing rest of your week. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you so, so much for listening to this episode. Be sure you are subscribed so you can continue to get more no fluff content from me. And I would really appreciate it if you took a small amount of time to leave a review for the podcast. It really helps to boost it in the search engines and ratings. And it allows me to continue to produce this content for you and get this message out there to other SLPs and healthcare professionals. And as always, happy wealth building and go do the dang thing.